0: European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 36, Issue 46, Focus Issue on Atrial Fibrillation, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Supraventricular and Ventricular Arrhythmias. Since its first description as a clinical entity in 1982, Arrhythmogenic Right Ventricular Cardiomyopathy-Dysplasia, slash or ARVC, has progressed from a rare condition to a genetic cardiomyopathy and an important cause of non-ischemic sudden cardiac death. In 1994, an international task force document proposed guidelines for the standardized diagnosis of ARVC based on ECG, arrhythmic, morphological, histopathologic and clinicogenetic factors. Subsequently five-year research programs supported by grants from both the European Community and the National Heart, Lung and Blood Institutes significantly contributed to the discovery of the molecular genetics, the ECG patterns, imaging and histopathologic features, as well as risk assessment for sudden cardiac death and the identification of patients benefiting from ICD therapy. In 2010, A second International Task Force report proposed a revision of diagnostic criteria for ARVC due to significant advances in the molecular genetics and emerging diagnostic modalities. The International Task Force consensus statement treatment of arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy slash dysplasia by Domenico Corrado and colleagues from the University of Padua in Italy provides an update for the previous document. Atrial fibrillation is the most common supraventricular arrhythmia particularly in the elderly. Such patients are at high risk of thrombotic events therefore eligible for antithrombotic therapy. The absolute benefits of antithrombotic therapies are generally larger in older than younger patients. On the other hand the elderly are at higher risk of bleeding. Comorbidities and polypharmacy further complicate management in a current opinion article, Antithrombotic Therapy in the Elderly, expert position paper of the ESC Working Group on Thrombosis, Felicita Andriotti from the Università Cattolica del Sacro Cuore in Rome, Italy, along with members from the task group, bring together age-specific data on the benefits and risks of antithrombotic drugs in current use and provide recommendations for their use with acute coronary syndromes, atrial fibrillation and venous thromboembolism with a particular focus on the elderly. Heart failure, both with preserved and reduced ejection fraction, is the major cause of atrial fibrillation. Patients with concomitant heart failure and atrial fibrillation suffer from even worse symptoms and poorer prognosis, yet evidence-based evaluation and management of this group of patients is sparse. In a clinical review, Atrial Fibrillation in Heart Failure, What Should We Do?, Deepak Kotecha from the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom evaluates the common mechanisms for the development of atrial fibrillation in heart failure patients and vice versa focusing on the evidence for potential treatment strategies. Recent data have suggested that these patients may respond differently than those with heart failure or atrial fibrillation alone. The authors propose an easy-to-use clinical mnemonic to aid the initial management of newly discovered concomitant heart failure and atrial fibrillation. The CAN-treat HFREF plus AF algorithm, referring to cardioversion, if compromised, anticoagulation, unless contraindication, normalised fluid balance, target initial heart rate, greater than 110 beats per minute, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone modification, early consideration of rhythm control, advanced heart failure therapies, and treatment of other cardiovascular disease. The issue of bleeding is again addressed in the first clinical research paper, the ORBIT bleeding score, a simple bedside score to assess bleeding risk in atrial fibrillation, where Emily Clare O'Brien and colleagues from the Duke Clinical Research Institute in Durham, North Carolina, USA noted that therapeutic decisions in atrial fibrillation are often influenced by perceived bleeding risk. However, existing risk scores have limitations Thus, the authors developed and validated a novel bleeding risk score using routinely available clinical information in 7,411 patients of the prospective ORBIT-AF registry and created a numerical bedside risk score that included the five most predictive risk factors weighted according to their strength of association with major bleeding. The predictive performance of the full model, the simple five-item score and two existing risk scores i.e. the Hasbled and Atria, were then assessed in both the Orbit AF cohort and validated in patients enrolled in the Rocket AF trial. Among Orbit AF patients taking oral anticoagulants, the rate of major bleeding was 4.0 per 100 person-years. The full continuous model, with 12 variables and the 5-factor Orbit risk score, including older age, anemia, bleeding history, reduced kidney function, and antiplatelet drugs, both had good ability to identify those who bled versus those who did not. While these scores both had similar discrimination, they performed markedly better than the HasBled and Atria scores in the External Validation Rocket AF cohort. The authors conclude that the 5-Element Orbit Bleeding Risk Score had better ability to predict major bleeding in atrial fibrillation patients than the has bled or atria risk scores. The manuscript is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by Gregory Y.H. Lipp from Birmingham in the UK. On a similar subject, Dragos Venerianu and colleagues from the Carol Davila University in Bucharest, Romania aim to assess clinical outcomes, efficacy and safety according to sex, during anticoagulation with either apixaban or warfarin in around 17,000 patients with atrial fibrillation of the Aristotle trial, in their clinical research paper, Clinical Outcomes in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation According to Sex During Anticoagulation with Apixaban or Warfarin, a secondary analysis of a randomized controlled trial. The risk of stroke or systemic embolism was similar in women and men. However, among patients with history of stroke or transient ischemic attack, women had a lower risk of recurrent stroke compared with men with a hazard ratio of 0.70, a lower risk of all-cause death and of cardiovascular death with a hazard ratio of 0.63 and 0.62 respectively. Furthermore, there was a trend towards less major bleeding and clinically relevant bleeding. On the other hand, efficacy and safety benefits of apixaban compared with warfarin were consistent regardless of sex. The authors conclude that in the Aristotle trial, women had a similar rate of stroke or systemic embolism but a lower risk of mortality and less clinically relevant bleeding than men. Pulmonary vein isolation is increasingly used to treat atrial fibrillation In spite of many successes, recurrent atrial tachyarrhythmias are not uncommon due to reconnection of pulmonary veins. In an ESC fast-track clinical research paper, Adenosine Triphosphate Guided Pulmonary Vein Isolation for Atrial Fibrillation Unmasking Dormant Electrical Reconduction by Adenosine Triphosphate Under ATP Trial Satoshi Shizuta from the Kyoto University Graduate School of Medicine in Japan Aimed to evaluate whether elimination of adenosine triphosphate induced dormant pulmonary vein conduction by additional energy applications during the first ablation procedure could reduce the incidence of recurrent atrial tachyarrhythmias. The authors randomly assigned 2,113 patients with paroxysmal persistent or long-lasting atrial fibrillation to either adenosine triphosphate guided or conventional pulmonary vein isolation. The primary endpoint was recurrent atrial tachyarrhythmias lasting for more than 30 seconds or those requiring repeat ablation, hospital admission or usage of antiarrhythmic drugs at one year. Among patients assigned to adenosine triphosphate guided pulmonary vein isolation, the molecule provoked dormant pulmonary vein conduction in 28% of the patients. Additional radiofrequency energy applications successfully eliminated dormant conduction in almost all patients. At one year, 69% in the adenosine triphosphate guided and 67% in the conventional group were free from the primary endpoint. Also, there was no difference in the one-year event free rates. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Thomas Jared Bunch from the Intermountain Heart Institute in Salt Lake City, USA. Medical therapy is the treatment of choice for rate control of atrial fibrillation. Particularly with beta blockers, certain calcium channel blockers and IF channel inhibitors, bradycardia can be a problem. On the other hand, bradycardia may facilitate certain forms of atrial fibrillation in patients in sinus rhythm. Thus, Kim M. Fox and colleagues from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London report on the impact of bradycardia and atrial fibrillation on cardiovascular outcomes in 19,083 patients with stable coronary artery disease, receiving evabridine or placebo in their clinical research manuscript entitled Bradycardia and Atrial Fibrillation in Patients with Stable CAD Treated with Evabridine, the Signify study. With Evabridine, emergent bradycardia below 50 beats per minute occurred in 37% both in the entire population and in those with CCS class 2 or more angina. There was no difference in outcomes in evabradine treated patients with or without bradycardia in the whole population for the primary composite endpoint of cardiovascular death or non-fatal myocardial infarction or in the angina subgroup. Neither was there an increase in the rate of primary endpoint after emergent bradycardia compared with those with such an event. Overall, the incidence of emergent atrial fibrillation was 2.2% per year with avabridine and 1.5% per year with placebo, and 2.2% and 1.5% per year in those with angina respectively. While outcomes occurred more frequently in patients in whom emergent atrial fibrillation had been recorded, there was no difference in outcomes, including stroke, and no difference in treatment effect in patients with limiting angina between the two groups. The authors conclude that both overall, as well as in the angina subgroup, bradycardia was common with avabradine, but relative to placebo, did not impact on outcomes, nor did emergent atrial fibrillation. The manuscript is accompanied by a critical editorial by John F. Beltram from the University of Adelaide in Australia. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.